Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Support Women in Sports. Today we're going to kind of take a deep dive into all the NHL action and what it was working like during their bubble period. So I will let Alana introduce our guest. Yeah. Hey everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Today's guest is Caitlin Urka. And yeah, let's get started. Caitlin, if you want to um, share with us, you know, how your journey has been in sports, you know, so far and what has led you to where you've been today. Sure. So I am uh, originally from a small town in Michigan where uh, the closest TV station was about 90 miles away. So growing up, TV was not something that I ever thought would be a realistic uh, job opportunity for me. Uh, I spent a lot of time, you know, working with the local newspaper. Uh, when I was little, I kind of got my first foray into the broadcast world. On Fridays, my dad would take me to a local restaurant where they would broadcast uh, the local radio show live, and the local guys would sometimes let me read the sports highlights. Uh, so that was really where my love and passion kind of first started growing from. And I went to college at the University of Michigan and originally thought, oh, I'll be a communications major and probably use that to go to law school someday. And started working at the student-run TV station on campus, fell in love with it, realized that I was actually pretty good at it. And opportunities kept coming. I kept getting internships. And before I knew it, I thought, okay, I don't really want to go to law school anymore. I want to make TV a career of mine and was blessed that I spent two years after college as a morning show news producer and on-air talent at an ABC affiliate and then got the opportunity to come join NBC Sports as they ramped up their preparation for the 2012 Olympic Games. So I've been with NBC ever since and absolutely loving every minute of it. That's amazing. That's awesome. We have a lot of younger um, listeners on our podcast who are in like college age and I know that you said you had a lot of different internships did you have a favorite internship while you were in school I did I was so blessed uh, I got to intern for NBC Sports so that was kind of my foot in the door at the 2008 Beijing Olympic Games so I spent a month in China and got to be the wide-eyed totally green intern running around you know taking everything in uh, I was lucky enough I got to see Michael Phelps win his eighth gold medal in person. I got to see Usain Bolt win the 200-meter final in person. Uh, it was just overwhelming how awesome that experience was, and that was by far and away the best internship opportunity that I that I had in college. That's that's amazing. That's so cool. Um, I did not expect that response, but that's that's fantastic. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess do you want to like go into that a little bit more, like maybe how you secured that internship and maybe how that had an impact of where you are today? Yeah, so I had been working at the student-run TV station on campus. I produced uh, several shows. I produced an entertainment show that I actually created while I was in college. And then I worked on a lot of the sports shows. I was a sports anchor, reporter, um, you know, doing all sorts of things. I was also a freelancer for a site at the time called The Palestra, which was like a division of Fox Sports. So I had my hands in all sorts of cookie jars trying to get myself as much experience as I could. And the University of Michigan Alumni Association hosted NBC to come in and conduct interviews for the Olympics. So they put a call out. They said, hey, we're going to take, you know, as many applications as we get. They're going to do 30 interviews. And then, you know, if you get the opportunity, you know, great. If, you know, you can, you can do it. So I was just excited that I got, you know, the interview opportunity. And I remember walking in and 
um, speaking with a woman that they sent and just being so excited just to even be there and make it that far. And then got a call, you know, a month or so later that said, hey, we would, we would love for you to join. So there were five of us, I believe, that were selected for Michigan. Uh, the university put us in a class. They taught us some basic Mandarin. They helped us financially, you know, with what we needed in order to make the internship a reality. And I was so, so incredibly blessed for that opportunity. Uh, when I got to Beijing, I was paired with a feature producer and helped him and his crew work on all the features, which was basically the biggest stories of the day. It was Michael Phelps, it was Usain Bolt. Uh, we did a story on uh, a diver from the United Kingdom, I remember. I mean, we just, like those stories are still so vivid for me because it was so such an important part of my life. And then full circle, that producer that I worked with is who contacted me about the job that I currently have now. And the woman that actually interviewed me on campus uh, back in the day at Michigan, uh, I work with her all the time. She jokes that like she's the reason that I'm here today, uh, but she's now one of the heads of our, our talent recruitment and management, and she's one of the most amazing people I work with. Her name's Elise Noonan, and um, so we still we all joke together that those two are responsible for me being here. But you know, those internship experiences, I think you know one of the the things that I like to tell kids is like there are so many people that are going to apply for those things and people that are going to get internships. And it's a matter of what you do when you get them to stand out. Because I was one of a hundred interns at that Olympic Games. There were tons of kids from Syracuse and Ithaca and, and all these colleges that had journalism programs and media programs. And they were all fighting for those same opportunities and jobs. And so I think it was just a matter of what you were able to do once you got there. And for me, I worked my butt off. If my hours were, you know, Let's say we usually had 12 hour shifts. So let's say if my hours were nine to nine, I wasn't going to leave that until my entire edit crew was done. I wanted to be the first person there every morning. I wanted to be the last person out the door every night. Um, and I think that hard work ethic that I showed, you know, paid off because it made that producer remember me. And then he, you know, picked up the phone two years later and called me and offered me an opportunity for a job. So that's the advice that I would give for any young folks listening to this that are looking to opportunities is don't just get the internship, own the internship once you get it. Yeah, hustle is key. I um, definitely have seen that in the sports industry. And I'm glad that you made the point too that the person who hired you originally, you still work with to this day. The sports industry is so small and like a lot of people don't necessarily realize that getting into it. But personally too, I've had people that I worked with and two years later, I was either still working them in like a different position or just still kept in contact with them. So always making a great first impression uh, is key. Yeah, I am. Um, as an intern, it was actually really funny. So as an intern, Jimmy Roberts was the reporter that did a lot of our feature stories. So I saw him every day. I got him coffee. I did all the things that interns do. And then just a couple of years ago at an Olympic Games, I was the producer of the feature that he was doing. So I went from being the intern, getting him coffee as he was, you know, being the talent to I'm now the producer producing him on his stories. And he kind of, you know, teased me about that. He's like, oh, you've come a long way, haven't you now? Uh, and that's the reality is you're going to be with these people for a long time. You're going to see the same faces and cultivating and maintaining relationships in this industry is of the utmost importance if you're going to have success. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I feel like I've looked back and I 
feel like I should have networked more now. Like <laughs> the amount of people I've talked to during quarantine and just like when COVID started, I was like, wow, why didn't I do this in undergrad? So I feel like now I try to stress it to people that are like still in college, like, hey, like you should be connecting with the people in your office and all that kinds of things, which is obviously, like you said, how you ended up to where you are right now, which is amazing. Um, so a lot of people are now working remotely, right? So what was it like for you kind of going from that in-person setting to now doing it remotely for the NHL and what have you learned slash like, adapted to now to where you are? Yeah, so prior to the pandemic, 90% of my job was on the road. I would travel to the sites and be there live for all the games. And I have not gotten on an airplane since March 9th, which is insane for me like I was I was traveling two three sometimes four times a week so to go from that amount of time in an airport to not seeing an airport since March 9th uh, it's been a really weird transition for me doing events remotely is a unique challenge there's a lot of logistics and technical things that you have to sift through and work through and there are a lot of issues that you never encounter when you're on the road and even things as little as you know, when you're on site, that's an opportunity, like we talked about networking and connecting, that's where you network and connect with people, where I can go in a locker room and I can chat with the players and the coaches and I can find out tidbits of information that can help me better my broadcast, whether it's a line change, a storyline, you know, a player just saying, oh, you know, I didn't really feel that great today. So then I know I better keep an eye on him because he didn't feel that great. He didn't look that good in morning skate. You know, that could be a storyline later in the day. If I'm not there in person to have those conversations, to see those things, I can miss out on some of that storytelling. So remotely, you have to find other ways to get that information. You have to rely on people that are there to help share things. Uh, you really have to have a good contact list with people and, and communicate really well. Uh, and again, just the technical, you know, as a producer, I want to see everything. You know, I have all these monitors in front of me. I want to see everything happening on the ice. And when you're doing things remotely, you don't always get that opportunity. I'm sometimes taking a feed where I see what they want me to see. And I have to have faith that the, the world feed producers and the world feed replays are showing what my analysts need to see. Uh, because I can't see the entire ice surface. I can't be watching the game as I normally would, which is a real challenge for me. And it was something that took getting used to as the Stanley Cup playoffs started up. Um, but it's just a, it's a whole new way of doing things. And it's something that we're, you know, it's not going away anytime soon. So I tried my best to embrace it and be as optimistic and positive as I can and learn all the advantages that you can have when you have a situation like this. And an example of an advantage is the sound that we have, right? Never before have we had such crisp, clean access to player sound on the ice as you know, action is happening live. So to be able to hear their thoughts, to be able to hear the officials and to be able to hear the coaches communicating from the benches, um, that has been a real blessing. It allows you even closer to the action than ever before. So there are some trade-offs to the situation, uh, but it's definitely a challenge and something that I'm continuing to try to work through as these assignments progress. Yeah, that's got to be difficult. Like, I can't even imagine. I mean, I worked, so I went to the University of Minnesota. I worked with our gopher hockey team uh, pretty frequently, and I can't even, like, imagine not being there for a game and, like, trying to do all the little things. So props to you and your team. That's huge. I guess, like, speaking of challenges and stuff, have there been any specific challenges that you've faced being a woman in sports? I'd be lying if I said there were <laughs> 
uh, anytime you're a minority in anything, and I mean, I, I even hate to say that word right now because of everything happening in our society, and, and I'm such a blessed individual in so many ways, and I understand that. You know, I have a privilege of being a white female, um, but in sports, I'm still a minority. And so while I cannot even remotely fathom what other people are going through, what, what some of my black you know, brothers and sisters are going through in this industry and in the world in general, there are things that I can relate to and I can use my experiences to try to help make this environment better for others. And as a woman working in sports, you know, I've definitely, you know, had people challenge my knowledge and, you know, put my skill set to the test because they don't think that I can do the job as well as my male counterparts. And I've been in locker rooms where guys don't want to have conversations with you the same way that they want to have conversations with the male reporters in the room. And that's the reality of the situation. I've had people judge me on appearance and looks and, you know, take my work for, for values that have nothing to do with the work itself because of, of who I am. And that's something that, you know, a lot of my male colleagues never have to face and never have to deal with. Um, but I think the biggest thing for me as a woman is there's just not as many of us. So there's not a lot of opportunities to have mentors and people around you that you can go to and discuss because issues that women face in the workplace are just different. So when I have something happen to me, if I want to go talk to a colleague about it, you know, there aren't as many of us around. And so often I'm the only female in a production truck. And I'm blessed that NBC Sports has a lot of incredibly talented females working uh, for us and with us and um, you know, I love that now more than ever, those trucks have more women in them, but there's still the majority of the truck is filled with men. And so those experiences are going to be different. And those conversations are going to be different. And, you know, there are going to be times that there's going to be locker room talk and things that you just have to know is going to be part of your job. And um, it's definitely gotten better. It's improved as the years have gone by. I've seen more and more progress, but we still have such a long way to go, and especially at the top right like to have women be in charge of things i mean i was i am the only female producer that nbc sports has or has had do, during this nhl playoff coverage i'm proud of that i'm proud that i was representing and, and able to be that but you know ultimately someday i'd love to be able to say that there were there are more of us and that there are more women doing these jobs and you know there's not very many female directors in the industry there's not very many female technical directors there's a lot of positions that are still male dominated so you know my goal is to just also shine a light on that because a lot of the reason i think that is is that women just don't see those jobs they don't see that opportunity because i know when i was growing up if i wanted to be in sports what i saw women doing were being sideline reporters right or being you know hosts on game day I didn't see any female producers, any female directors. No one talked about that. If you even read about a name of a producer or director, it was the main producers of maybe Sunday night football or Monday night football or whatever. And they were all men. And so for me, part of that was, well, I don't think I want to do that job because I just don't know any women doing it. So I, I'm a firm believer in seeing it, it is so important for people. I know that the NHL did like the all female uh, crew game and I really enjoyed watching that like personally but in your opinion what do you think the NHL or just like the sports industry in general can do um to like help women be in those leadership positions like you mentioned like so that somebody else is a director of broadcasting and things like that I know that the NHL comes under a lot of backlash a lot for I guess being like late in the game or not saying enough so 
what do you think as someone who does work in the NHL, like that they can do to, to, yeah, advocate for those minorities, like you were saying. Marketing, recruitment, and training are the three things I think are super important. As I said, visibility is really important. So if you market the fact that you have talented women doing these jobs and that these jobs can be filled by talented women, that's an important thing because it makes it someone growing up say, hey, yes, I can do that someday. The NHL, you know, these, these networks, they will hire women to do these things. The other thing is training. I think, you know, helping get involved. You know, I look at it like this, right? An NHL league, they help put money into peewee leagues and into, you know, AHL teams and things because they need to develop players to become a key part of their league. And development is important. That should be no different than in television and in sports and every other facet of this industry. If you want the best people working for you, you need to invest in development uh, and talent creation. So, you know, getting out there and maybe going to universities and, you know, working with college teams or AHL teams or whatever else and helping identify, you know, women and minorities who want to be a part of this and providing them with the training and the knowledge and the tools that they need for success early on. And I think that would be a huge step in helping grow those, those people in those positions throughout the game. Uh, and that, to me, that's a really important aspect to this because a lot of times, especially in this industry, you don't get the training until you're already in the job. Um, and so that can be scary for a lot of people is, you know, how do I, how do I learn to be a TD on a show? Like I have no, like when I was in college, that wasn't something I could have learned. I mean, I guess I kind of learned to be a director for our studio shows, but that's not remotely the same thing. So unless you go to a specialized university or you, you know, get yourself an internship with someone and you get specialized one-on-one -on -one training, I would have no idea how to go about that. So I think providing opportunities, again, marketing, visibility, and those training will definitely help pave the way for less disparity when it comes to diversity in sports and representation. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And I wish I wish colleges would honestly like do more of that. Like I was in a sports management program and they showed a lot of like, okay, like here's everything that you can do in sports, but like I didn't really find a niche for communications or social media until like I actually worked with our athletic department. So that's something I would love to see um, more teams, leagues, corporations, et cetera, uh, come out and do. I know that we talk. Okay, go ahead. Right, honestly, and there are some opportunities. Like I know when I was in college, um, the Big Ten, this is, I'm going to date myself, but the Big Ten Network was just coming into fruition. And so I worked a lot with those people because we, at the, before the Big Ten Network, our student-run TV station was broadcasting live sports at Michigan. So we did 12 or so hockey games a year. I did college wrestling. I did Big Ten swimming and diving championships. We did softball, basketball, you know, all those things. So they came to us and said, how are you guys doing this? How can we help model this? And we helped them provide the foundations for what's now known as Big Ten U, which they're using students to run and operate and broadcast sporting events. So there are successful, uh, you know, examples of how this can come to be and then can train people hands-on. I just think we need to see more of that throughout the industry. Yeah, for sure. Um, I know that we've already talked about kind of you working the Olympics and obviously you've been with NBC for a really long time, but Throughout your career, what are some of like your favorite projects or stories that um, you've worked on and shared? Asking that question is kind of like asking a parent to pick their favorite child. 
uh, it can be the day of the week, right? Like you can be like, wow, this kid is being a brat today. I don't like them. I'm going to pick the other one. Um, and, you know, every day is, I'm so blessed that I've gotten to work on so many incredible things. I mean, I've been to five Olympic games. Each one is unique in its own right. I have so many incredible memories from each one. I couldn't possibly say, oh, this is my favorite. Um, but I just love, love the Olympic experience so much. So I would say the Olympics in general are one of my favorite things to always work on. Uh, I've gotten to work on a Super Bowl. I've gotten to do uh, seven tours to France. Uh, I've worked on Stanley Cup finals. I've worked on NASCAR championships. Uh, I've been so, so, so fortunate to be in, be a part of some of the biggest sporting events uh, ever in the world. And uh, I never take that for granted because those experiences, they're such, they require such hard work. Like a Tour de France, people have no concept of how difficult that is. I mean, you're in a different city every day, 21 different cities, it is a brutal grind. You work in a truck for a 12-hour shift or more, and then you get in a car and you can drive three, four hours to your next city. Uh, you know, I don't speak the language. I constantly, you know, and you're not in, it's not like you're in Paris every day. You're in these little small back, you know, woods kind of towns with, you know, no stop signs or no stop lights, and you're trying to navigate these roads that are barely big enough for one car to pass. Um, and it's, it's just a crazy experience, but it's so amazing. And I love, love, love that I've had those opportunities and get to tell stories of these incredible endurance athletes who can get on a bike and ride six hours a day and go up a mountain with a 12% gradient uh, and, and showcase their amazing talent. So I'm so excited you know, to have those opportunities. But yeah, I think for me, the things that I've worked on, it's, it's impossible to pick just one. Um, but I definitely don't take for granted any of the opportunities that I've had. And it's not just the big sports. Like, it's easy to throw out and say, oh, yeah, you know, I got to do a Super Bowl and be on the field when the confetti fell, and that's amazing. But just as amazing to me sometimes are the lesser-known or the lesser-viewed sports. Um, you know, I've gotten to produce college basketball and college hockey, and some of my favorite games and things to walk away from are those experiences because those athletes are so passionate and and some of those games have had such crazy outcomes. And so for me, those are just as memorable as the Super Bowls are. Um, and, you know, and sometimes it's not just the event. It's what you do at the event. You know, one of my memorable shoots happened. There was a horse race, a Breeders' Cup race at Del Mar, California. And we hadn't been there in a while, so we didn't have, you know, new fresh scenics. And I was the field producer for that event. So I was trying to take it upon myself to find a way to get us some fresh uh, you know, scenics and, and good shots of the city. And I found that there was a paragliding school on the coast nearby. So I went, I, I paraglided probably five or six times now. I try to do it every time I'm in Europe. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm comfortable doing this. So I took a camera and I went up paragliding and I shot aerial scenics paragliding for this horse race. Um, and to me, like, that's one of the most memorable things that I've done because here are all these scenics on the show and everyone's going, yeah, oh my gosh, those helicopter shots are amazing. And then they're like, no, it wasn't a helicopter. It was Caitlin with a camera paragliding along the coast of California. And uh, so that's me. And that's the stuff that no one at home is going to know, but I know and my colleagues know. And that's, that's what makes me smile. So sometimes it's the moments and it's not the events that help make it so special. That's crazy. That's amazing. Like just to, uh, yeah, to hear like your creativity and just like everything you were able to come up with is. It's also, 
it's also about people, right? Like I am so lucky, you know, when I first started with NBC, I worked in the features and profiles unit. So I got to tell so many great stories. Um, and, you know, just recently came, one of them came up. I worked on a documentary about the locomotive hockey team, which is a Russian hockey team that perished in a plane crash on their way to a game. And we did a documentary that aired in the Sochi Olympic Games on that team. And it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to work on. Like every day I just sat at my desk and cried because it was so sad. But yet it was such an amazing story. And there were positives that came out of this tragedy. And we wanted to shine a light on that. Um, so stories like that will stick with you forever. And that has nothing to do with an event either. Like those are people. And, you know, I got to tell the story of 11-year-old Layla Anderson last year during the Stanley Cup final, who was a blues super fan who needed a bone marrow transplant. And she happened to get one. And as her health started to, to get better, the blues team started to get better. And they obviously went on and, and won the Stanley Cup. And she was there throughout the whole process and became friends with members of the team. And they supported her. And in that process, by us helping tell her story, we inspired other people to become bone marrow donors and increase the registry and help, you know, shine a light on that really important cause. So stories like that are also really impactful for me in my career. Uh, and again, they, they don't necessarily correlate to an event. Sometimes it's, it's the people that really stand out for me. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. I mean, all the, I mean, the, the amount of stories that you just hear like on a daily basis and the ones you've been able to work on, like they sound amazing. And I'm sure it doesn't even cover like 10% of what you've, of what you've been able to do during your time. I know that you mentioned you had like a lot of internships, always had your hands in, in different kinds of jobs. And obviously like you've been able to work all these different events. Have you experienced burnout? And if you have, like, how have you been able to like deal with that and kind of like what measures do you take now to kind of like I guess avoid it or kind of like be better about it I've definitely experienced burnout uh there are definitely times in my career that I've been been burning both ends of the candle and get down to the the nothing that's left uh, I think sometimes to a fault because I love my job so much like there's never been a day in my current job where I've gotten up and said I don't want to go to work today which has not been true of any other job I've ever had in my life. Like every other job, there's been at least one day where I've said, oh, I just want to lay in bed. Like I don't want to go to work. And with this job, I've even been like, I've had surgeries and I've been in the hospital and I've been begging my doctors to let me out because I just want to go back into work. I want to keep, you know, there's a story that I'm in love with or an event that I want to make sure I don't miss. Um, and so I think that's been really important because if I didn't love what I do, then the burnout, you know, it would definitely get me down but I think it's also something that as I get older and as I spend more time in this industry it's something I'm more aware of and I need to be careful with and as horrible as this pandemic has been for so many reasons it actually has allowed me to really step back and prioritize myself and my health because I was feeling burned out and I didn't even really realize it at the time I just knew I mean I was exhausted and I was traveling all over and doing all these things and I loved them and I didn't want to quit doing them but when the pandemic hit and I was forced to stop suddenly I realized oh my gosh like I really was just fried and this has been a great opportunity for me to kind of reset and reevaluate and you know, sometimes you have to be willing to say no to some things. Like if people ask you to work on something, there are, you have to be willing to say, hey, I can't do this. I already have a thousand things on my plate. I'm bad at that. Uh, I'm, you know, that's a great piece of advice to give other people. I say yes far more often than I say no, but 
I'm trying to make it a priority to, to truly say, do I, do I really have enough of myself to give to this? Because the other thing that suffers is your personal life and your social life. And, you know, I'd be lying if I said that, you know, that's been great for me recently because I, I, it's really hard to make plans and schedule things when you work in this industry and you work all the weekends and all the holidays and where all your friends are enjoying a long Labor Day weekend and you're doing sports all weekend. That's the reality of it. Um, so again, you really have to love it. Burnout is a very real thing and it's something that, again, I'm trying to get much better at um, prioritizing. And, and for me, it's, it's family, friends, health, work. You know, you have to really make an, a conscious effort for that. And I, I've had to miss weddings and, you know, birthdays and get-togethers and things in my family. But I've also made an effort to prioritize certain things that I said I won't miss. And I'm going to take this time off regardless of what sport I have to put on the back burner because this is important to me. And I think everybody's priorities are different. And I think that's different for, every. you know, some people want to be at every wedding and they can't miss anything. And some people want to prioritize their career a little bit more early on. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way. I think everyone has to do what works for them. Um, and for me, sometimes I make decisions and in hindsight, I think, oh, was that really the most important thing? Um, but I don't have any regrets. And I think that's the key is that every decision that I've made up to this point, even if it's resulted in some burnout and doing things, I, I love that it's gotten me to where I am today. And I love that I have great relationships with my friends and my family. And I love that I've gotten the opportunities that I have in this industry, and I'm looking forward to, to what comes next. I'm so glad that you mentioned, A, prioritizing different things, and then two, saying no. I think personally, like a lot of young people in the industry sometimes have to uh, go through a wave or a period of burnout to really kind of take that lesson home. I know that I did. I think my senior year of college, I went through a pretty bad period of burnout. I was not a very pleasant person to be around, I guess. And like just taking a step back and like reflecting on that, I think is huge. And we've talked to a lot of people in the industry recently who have said a very similar thing about COVID. Like, yes, it's an unfortunate situation. And a lot of people are just like not in a good place, but it's kind of given um, some time for reflection. And I think a lot of people had been feeling burnt out. So I'm glad that you mentioned that. And it's definitely a very real thing in this industry. Yeah, and I think another thing is, you know, people, there's this misconception that the more you do, the better you're gonna be or the you know better it's gonna look for you. And sometimes that can be the opposite because if you stretch yourself too thin, you're not giving your best effort everywhere. And so it's really important that you look at it and say, well, if I have people asking me to be a part of 3D projects, instead of saying yes to all three, if I say yes to two of the three, I can really be really, really good and focus on two of those three. If I work on all three, I might not have the bandwidth or the capacity to give my best and my all to those three. And is that fair to whatever show that I'm not able to give my best to if I'm just present and not really contributing? So that's something else that I've tried to look at too is, you know, I, I get asked to, I I'm fortunate that I have a kind of jack of all trades Swiss Army knife skill set. Like I can go out, I can field produce, I can shoot, I can edit, uh, I live event produce, I can do a lot of different things. Um, but again, you know, there's that old saying, you know, jack of all trades, master of none. Whenever I work on a show, I want to make sure that I give it 110%. I don't want to shortchange anyone because I'm field producing for this show and live event producing for this and having to prioritize in a way that I can't 
you know, be my best. And so I think that's another thing that's really important to, to look at is it's not, a num you know, the amount of credits that you have under your name is not as important as the quality of those credits. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, in college, I definitely was trying to do everything at once. I was like, I don't, I want to do this and this and this and this and this. And I've, I think I've told a lot of this a couple of times, but I was doing like three internships all at the same time. And it kind of got to a point where I was like, okay, I hate two of these, but I really love one of these. So like figuring that out is definitely important and like where you're naturally drawn. I think COVID has kind of allowed for a period of that, like personally for me and yeah, but I'm glad that you shared all that experience because it's definitely real and it takes a really long time for a lot of people to realize like what burnout is and how it's impacting their work. And it can be hard in this industry too, because my friends always joke that when I complain, it sounds like I'm humble bragging, you know, cause it's like, you know, you listen to you're like, Oh my yes. gosh, like I had to work yeah. the Stanley cup play the Stanley cup final today. And I had to do Notre <laughs> Dame football and I had to get ready for football night in America and I had to do this. And then my friends are like, you know that that sounds like the best gig. Like you're complaining sounds like the best gig ever. And it's, and that's the truth. And it's like, it's really hard sometimes because you realize when you say it out loud that it does sound like a humble brag. And the reality is, is that as awesome as TV is, and again, I love the sports I get to work on, the properties I get to be a part of, but it's work. And, you know, the amount of hours of sleep I got this weekend was not very high because there was so much happening. And we had an amazing weekend of sports on NBC and NBCSN. And I wouldn't have traded it for anything in the world. I got to be a part of broadcasting so many of them. Um, but it's, it's work and it's hard work. And, you know, last night when I finally got home, I was exhausted. And that's the reality is that, you know, it's no different than anybody else's job. You have really stressful, hard days sometimes and you need to come home and unwind. Um, but when it's, you know, when it's a job like this, it's no different than if, if you were to interview you know, Selena Gomez or Brad Pitt or any actor or actress, and they told you about their long day on set, you'd be like, ooh, boo-hoo, you had to, you know, you were in whatever amazing foreign country filled, like, you know, if they were talking about Mamma Mia, you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, you had to spend this amazing time in the Greek Isles filming every day in the, under the sun with, you know, Meryl Streep and Amanda Seyfried and Cher, and, you know, I mean, like, it would sound awful, right? You don't be like, you don't have a right to complain. But the reality is, it's a really hard job. And there's a lot of work involved. And I think that's, you know, sports for us is the same way as it's, it doesn't sound awful sometimes when you're complaining about it to people not in the industry. But and it's never truly awful. It's just sometimes it's, uh, you know, it can be hard because it's a job and it's stressful. And there's a lot of eyeballs that watch. So if you do something wrong, there are, you know, you know, in the landscape of social media, you, you make one error and next thing you know, a million people are going to see it and retweet it and like it and do whatever with it. So there's a lot of pressure there and that can take its toll on you. Yeah, the intensity of this industry is insane. And I'm glad that you said humble bragging because I always like, I don't, I don't complain about my job often. And, but there are definitely times where it's like, oh, I just like, I need to vent, but I feel like I'm just being like, I don't know, just not venting properly so and I always feel bad like if you go to dinner with a group of people and you're meeting them for the first time right everyone goes around the table as you normally do oh what, what's your name what do you do and you know you've got oh I work in finance I work in whatever and then they get to you and you're like I work in television and all of a sudden you get peppered with a hundred questions right 
And for me, I always feel bad. I'm like, my job is not more important than the doctor, the lawyer, the accountant. Like, no one else at this table's job is less than, less valuable than mine. In fact, they're probably more valuable. They're probably, you know, helping society in a greater way than I am. And yet, oftentimes, that attention, that spotlight comes on to me because, it, you know, I don't blame them. It's probably more interesting to hear my stories of Olympics and athletes and people than it is to hear the story of the number cruncher who saved a company $1,000 on their taxes last month. Um, but it can be really awkward sometimes. You know, it can be awkward at dinner when the focus is, oh my gosh, you won four Emmys. I go, well, yeah, but that doesn't define who I am. That's not really what I want to talk about. I want to hear about you. Like, let's talk about your day. And then two seconds later, they're back on, wait, tell me about that thing that you did on that show. And I'm like, ah, uh, because again, I think, you know, we often in TV and in, in media and in this entertainment industry, we sometimes get unwanted and unwarranted praise and attention for things that we do just because of the reality of our jobs. And so that's something that as I've continued to go on, I still struggle with sometimes. Like when I go home and see my friends from high school, I'm so proud of all the things that they're accomplishing. They're so incredibly talented and smart. And I have friends that are doctors and lawyers and all of those things. And they're out there doing amazing things in the world. And I feel bad when I go home and, and I'm my job is the subject of conversation because I'm more proud of everything that they've accomplished than anything that I've accomplished. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that as well. And I've definitely been in some of those situations before, like in college, I missed the first weeks of two weeks of every second semester to go work Super Bowl. So it was like always awkward coming into class, like the second week while they had all been there and be like, oh, like, where were you for these two weeks? And I was like, oh, I was like working Super Bowl. Like it was always like a really awkward situation to be in. Uh, so I'm glad that you you mentioned that. And I think we're going to wrap things up, but thank you so much for coming on. This was super fun. Uh, and I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much for, uh, I really enjoyed hearing about the Olympics. I think like the immediately when you said Olympics, I was like, oh, I'm like, that's casual. I'm like, that's so cool. So being able to hear about that was amazing, like we said. Thank you so much for coming on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. That's the end of Caitlin's episode. Coming up next is Allie's. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, y'all. Welcome to another episode of Support Women in Sports. We are really excited for our guests today, and I will let Alana do the introduction. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Today's guest is Ali Stanton, and she is a live social media contributor at the NHL, and she just got out of the bubble, so we're very excited to talk to her about that. Um, if Ali, if you would like to just, you know, give us a little bit of an intro and kind of like what your journey has been so far to get to where you are right now. Okay. Um, I have always wanted to work in sports. I grew up in a small town in Alberta. Um, basically, if you didn't farm, you played hockey or you did both. Um, and a lot of guys in high school went away to play and then came back. So I remember um, going to junior games and being like, I didn't even care about like what my friends cared about, which was like dating a hockey player. Um, I cared about how, how did this happen? How did they get the sponsorships? How did they, you know, secure contracts at that level? How did they um, ensure that that building was sold out? And this was way before like social media. 
had any influence on it. Um, luckily for this town that I grew up in, every game sold out. So, that, I mean, it wasn't really an issue for them. But that was kind of my focus and my thought process. So, um, after high school, I worked for Lululemon for three and a half, almost four years. And you really begin to build connections with people in your community that way. So, um, being from Edmonton, Oilers came in a lot. We kind of built a little bit of relationships with them, but it was more building relationships with people in the community. So personal trainers, yoga teachers, um, then kind of going that way. And then I just continuously got more and more interested in it. And I always knew I wanted to work in sports, but I just didn't know what, like, did I need to get a kinesiology degree? Did I need to get a phys ed degree? Did I need to go to business school? So I did that for three and a half, four years. And then I went back to school once I kind of had a vision of what I wanted. Um, I went back to school after I left Lululemon. So I was uh, 23, I think, when I went back. Um, and then pretty much since 2015, it's just been go, 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 get whatever opportunity you can. Don't turn anything away, um, regardless of if it's paid or not. Um, so I did, I worked at um, uh, off-season hockey facility, so um, kind of got my feet wet there, and then in 2016, kind of just, it all kind of exploded from there. I applied for what used to be called the Real-Time Correspondent um, Program, and it was run through um, MLBAM, because they also had a program, and then did a season there. Um, basically, it was a phone call, 15-minute phone call in Starbucks, and three weeks later, I was in an arena um, flying by the seat of my pants, but having the best time, and then I've been with the league ever since. So I've done that since my 16. Um, I have done two Grey Cups, which is like our mini Super Bowl <laughs> for Canadian football. Um, I did 20... 18 in Edmonton and 2019 in Calgary with the league, um, with their communications team. And then I have worked with junior football teams in the Canadian Junior Football League, which is kind of like your step up to the CFL. You like a lot of players go that way. They don't really go the college route. We don't have a lot of college football here. Um, so I did three seasons with a Edmonton Wildcats um, as their social media and communications manager. That was completely unpaid, but I mean, experience. And then, yeah, trying to think what else I've done. Um, a lot. <laughs> but that's kind of been <laughs> yeah. the progression. And then I um, was lucky enough to get the phone call for a Stanley Cup. And I moved out of my apartment, walked drove three and a half blocks up the street and lived in a hotel for six weeks. <laughs> that's crazy. That's like, first off, that's just like a s stacked resume um, <laughs> right off the bat. And I'm glad that you mentioned like the go, go, go mentality. And like, obviously you've done a lot of stuff like in your career um, professionally. So like, how did that maybe help you going into the bubble? Like, have you experienced burnout in the past? Did being go, 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 maybe help you kind of like transition into that really fast paced bubble life better? Yeah, I'm kind of, I thrive in chaos. 
um, when I have nothing to do, I am my worst self. Um, so obviously for I'm six the same months, way. So I totally yeah. feel you. Um, so I was doing like LSD on top of other jobs that were not industry specific. Like I've worked in, um, I, my internship was in heavy equipment. Like I didn't do a sports internship. They don't really exist here. Um, and then, so that kind of like also helped me like manage. So I've always, in my entire degree, I worked almost full time while in school full time. So that kind of helps me with time management. Um, and I'm really big into work-life balance. So if it doesn't fit into my everyday, then it just has to get moved around. Um, it's not that I just don't say no. Oh, I forgot to add. I also worked for a, football, a soccer team last year um, in a league that is finally gaining some traction, the Canadian Premier League. Um, we have a team here and I was basically, I did everything. I did social media, um, player appearances, community engagement, you name it. I was like, they used to call me mom. It was really weird. <laughs> um, but I also did that while I was in school. So it's just time management and saying like, what can you handle? What can you not? Um, and not being afraid to say no. And then, but always give a reason why. Um, for me, I mean, my friends were always like, well, why can't you hang out? And it's like, well, if you look at this, my schedule, then you'd understand that like, maybe I can't do it like Friday night, but maybe can we do like lunch on Sunday? Once I've like, you know, got home and kind of decompressed and got my like schoolwork done. And then I would save time them so I always provide my I'd always have deadlines for myself like always um so that kind of prepared me for the bubble um a little bit but like honestly there was no way to really I mean we were off I was off for six months um before I went in so and it's a completely different environment luckily it was my home arena so I knew security I knew the ushers I knew um a lot of the people that were already there so that made it a lot easier yeah, that's really nice. I didn't realize mm -hmm. that, like, was your home arena. That's super. Yeah, yeah, it was a uh, transition. That's what they did. So it was, I mean, I was in places that I probably, like, I had an office space. I didn't have that before. Mm -hmm. But having it be at home was a lot easier. Um, it was an area that I was familiar with. I mean, and it overall was, like, really good. Like, I have no complaints, really. Yeah, if you want to just kind of, like, walk us through, like, the entire bubble process and kind of your inside perspective um, on that, that would be awesome. Um, I mean, it's kind of what everyone sees. Um, it was very secure, for sure. Um, I didn't see, I mean, it, it, we had the same, you kind of go into your own routine. I, um, I would just every day was the same. Like you would get up, you'd get ready, you'd go do your temperature check. And then you would just go to the arena and start your day. And that didn't have to mean the game. That could be, you know, meetings or um, if we were, I think we only went on one excursion while I was there <laughs> um, because we got so busy. Um, but then like you would, you know, you see the same security guards, so you kind of get to know them, and they say, like, oh, I don't remember anyone's name, but they'd be like, oh, like, 
Allie, have a great day, because they could see your, like, tag, so they kind of knew who everyone was, mm -hmm. and then I would go get a coffee at the other hotel, and, you know, you kind of make friends with the girl at the coffee bar, and she's there every day, and then you get to ask her, like, oh, like, how's the outside world like, because <laughs> she could go home, um, but it was very much just the, kind of the same, like, nothing, nothing crazy, you just get into routine, so my routine was get there pretty early, get myself settled, um, get in contact with teams, whatever content they needed. Um, and then kind of like, as you know, you can't plan a game. So you just kind of have to, whatever happens, happens, and just make sure you've got that moment. Um, and then some days you did it twice. Sometimes you did it three times a day. But um, it was it was fun. Like, we had fun. We made the most of it. I mean, the guys I worked with were unreal. Um, I mean, I went through some imposter syndrome in the beginning, being like, why am I here? Like, why did you choose me? I'm not that good at this. Um, but then I realized, okay, well, stop lying to yourself. Um, and then, yeah, it was just kind of, you do that every day. Um, you kind of got dinner at the same places because they were pretty limited. Um, and I mean, there was a lot of people at first, so you kind of had that like little community feeling. And then as teams started to leave, um, it got smaller and smaller. So then you would still see the same people, but it was almost easier to have like the conversation or go grab a coffee. And there wasn't like 200 people in the plaza. And it's like, and it's, it's hard to explain because I think I explain it differently every time. Like, I'll think of something different that happened, but overall, like, it was just very much, like, get up, get ready, do your thing, watch the arena, have lunch, grab a coffee, do your games, eat at some point, and then um, do another game, and then just, like, go home. Yeah. I mean, yeah, just, like, go back to the hotel, like you said. Yeah. <laughs> That's three yeah. blocks away. Was it, like, it was weird? Kind of, like, knowing... I guess so like your dog like for example like is over there like really close to you yeah. but like you can't go because of like because well, of yeah. the pool and all that so it was really a hard um the first couple weeks I on a personal like level really just wrote like I was great like I was like let's go let's do this let's get this content out and then I kind of hit a wall and I just had this like a constant memory of like my boyfriend when I like drove away the last day before I saw, like, when I left to go to the bubble, like, I didn't see him for six weeks, and I started, like, missing him, and then he'd be like, well, do you want me to come, and I'd be like, no, like, I don't even want to see you, um, <laughs> like, because you're, like, separated, like, we could see them, but, like, you can't, it's different, yeah. um, so, like, that was weird, but then, yeah, like, I literally lived, like, three blocks but at the bottom of a hill so like I could like if you just drove straight it would be at the arena so that was weird um but you just like it became like our own little like city in a city mm -hmm. like we had everything we needed we didn't need to go anywhere um we got whatever you needed you could just get like dropped off so like that was fine um it was I think just smaller than like obviously like Disney World yeah like of course, two yeah. three hotels and an arena like that was the biggest thing um and yeah it didn't really it got very normal it was very much like hey this is our day yeah 
kind of when you're saying like you I guess like hit like that wall is that kind of like when you started feeling the imposter syndrome like I know that's something that Sydney and I talk about with a lot of our guests just because it's very common um you know like um, in the sports industry and women in sports um in general so for you like how have you I guess like battled it like kind of gotten through it I know that you mentioned in Canada like you don't really have like the I guess sports internships and it was kind of like kind of take whatever opportunity so how have you been able to um yeah I guess like get through that imposter syndrome and kind of like Um, that you're you're good you know you're good enough I guess is what I'm getting at I think it kind of came down to just like when I would do something I always felt like I was like sending the same stuff um and finally I think it was I don't even remember the exact moment but one day I was like no like let's figure this out and um I went in guns a blazing and I was like I'm gonna get arrivals and it was the best um content that I had done the entire time I was there so it was just I had to flip the switch um and it's a big perspective change when you do that like shift your perspective like they chose you for a reason you are good enough you've been in this role for a long time um they wouldn't have chosen you if you were terrible and I would go through my phone and just look at stuff that I had done in the past and be like okay this is actually kind of cool um or when a team would post something that I believe that was good and was on brand, like that also switches. Like, hey, they love this. Like, let's keep rolling with this. Um, yeah, and it was just a lot of talks too. Like, I remember being on FaceTime one night with my boyfriend and being like, I, like, what? Like, and he's like, Allie, like, stop talking like this. Like, you are way better at this than you give yourself credit for so it's also like hearing it from other people because I don't talk about my job a lot um mostly for the fact that like I'm the only one in Edmonton that does this so like people don't understand what it's like or admit like sports in Canada is not like as saturated as it is in the states where like we don't have like, we do have, like, smaller league baseball, but, like, we, we don't, um, don't have summer leagues. We don't have, like, we have eight football teams at the Canadian, like, football league, and then, like, seven NHL teams, so it was also just leaning on others that were kind of in your position, too, like, having those conversations, making those connections with people that kind of understood, but, like, everyone's experience was so different because you receive it differently. So um, I just had to like take a step back. And I, I don't, I don't talk about my job because I don't want to. It's just that a lot of people don't understand. Like I'm my yeah. only friend friends in sports. <laughs> I, well, I have one, but like close friends, there's like one person who understands. So it's hard. Yeah, that's definitely challenging. And I didn't realize all of that about how Canada isn't it's not like as big or as popular so it's really interesting to like find out so I guess like going off of that and talking about challenges like obviously you've had a lot of challenges both just working in sports in Canada and kind of like 
working in hockey and the whole imposter syndrome personally like Alana said like both of us have gone through a lot of imposter syndrome um in our past but have you ever had like any specific challenges being a woman in sports um yeah I mean I I don't if you haven't I would say you're a liar um (laughs) that's just my opinion yeah um you're definitely hiding it if you have it if you're saying you have it um I won't say who it was just because I want to respect how that place of respect, but someone I had worked for told me years ago that, I mean, I'm not tall. I'm like five, four on a good day. Um, and he was like, you're not tall enough. You're not smart enough and you're not pretty enough to work in sports. Yeah. Damn. That just lit that fire. And I was like, okay, cool, like good chat. Um, I'm just gonna roll with this. And that has always stuck in my mind of like, this person told me this and I need to like, not for myself, but for everyone else that has that comment. And for the little girl that's watching me do my job and it's like, oh, how did she like, how is she like doing this? Whether it's on the football field or sitting behind my laptop or at the hockey or where I, whatever I'm doing, like I'm doing, I'm not doing this for myself. I'm doing it for that little girl that wants to do it too. And that was kind of the turning moment. I've had that. I've had, Oh God, I've been told to relax um, because I have an opinion. Um, I've been told that, there's no way that this is actually my job and that I snuck in a camera. Uh, Oh God. I mean, I think I've been told it all. Um, But for me, it doesn't, it's not upsetting. It's more like, okay, well you're wrong. And I kind of equate it to maybe like, they are like jealous that this is what I get to do. Um, And I haven't had it from women, which is really nice. Um, My friends, my family, people I know are always like, how, like, you're insane. Like, this is awesome, like, that you work in sports and that you're working this hard. Um, It's a lot of guys. And that is, like, so heartbreaking because if they're talking about, like, one person they don't even know and they don't know, like, not even me, but like anyone in this role, you don't know their story, you don't know the path they're taking, you don't know their goals and their ambitions. And rather than tear someone down, like ask the question, like, oh, what are you doing? Or rather than there's no way that this is actually her job. So that's kind of, I like, I didn't, it doesn't upset me. I just kind of like, I've told, I mean, I've told people off. <laughs> I probably have. But I have a really good support group, and if it bothers me, it bothers me for five minutes. Like, I don't let it take me down. I don't let it, um, you know, discourage me in any way. Um, And I use it as fuel. Yeah. No, I totally get that. Like, for me personally, I always say, like, my haters are my greatest motivators. Like, it's always about it's like doing it for myself at the beginning of the day, but also just saying like, 
hey, you doubted me. Now look at me go. Um, but I'm really yeah. glad that you mentioned like the next generation because that's kind of like yeah. why we started this entire thing is is for that next group of young girls wanting to go into like working in sports. And I think there's been a lot of waves made during the past, I would even say like this past six months during this period of COVID, like today we'll be having um, the first NFL game with both the women's coach on each side and then also an official. So I think seeing that and like a lot of things that have like come out um, within the past couple of years with even like, I always go back to like the Dallas Mavericks and like the Washington football team and all of that. And just like trying to create a platform that like, that shows that like, hey, like girls can just do it just as well and, and really trying to provide a light for that next generation. And so thank you for sharing all of that. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I wish I had someone when I was, you know, 15, 16, figuring out my life, for lack of a better example, that, you know, I didn't have that. I didn't have someone that I could just like bounce ideas off of or you know and this is before like social media wasn't even a thing like I think I had Facebook but I probably shouldn't have had Facebook (laughs) um and like it's just when you see that and not even little girl even like little boys because you know we're teaching them how to champion others um and but when you see them like looking at you like wondering and awe like, oh, what is she doing? Or, like, why is she running around the arena or the football field like a maniac? Yeah. Um, and maybe that sparks something in them that they, like, maybe one day they want to be a broadcaster or a radio host or have a podcast or whatever that is. They know that they can and that it is possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I kind of think, like, what you were saying that when you were in high school, like, you thought you had to be in kinesiology or, like, something yeah. to in sports like that's definitely where I was at um I've talked about it, like a few times but I definitely thought like you either had to be an athlete or like a GM to work in sports like that that was it like you there was no other way to go about it um and I remember when I think I was a senior like in high school my friends were like oh so you want to be a GM and I'm like I don't know I'm like I'm just gonna like figure it out when yeah. I get I was gonna study sports business I'm like I don't know what this entails but like we're just gonna figure it out um so I definitely kind of like what Sydney was saying like I like we started this because we want to show like those people that are younger than us, like, Hey, like you can do this in case you didn't know, um, before. Sure. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, and the thing with sports too, and I mean, you guys know this, but it doesn't have to be like social media. It can be operations. It can be team personnel. It can be, if you're really into finance, like that's, totally an option or for me I'm a crazy goal person and like I do want to be a GM I do and like I don't know what that looks like I don't know how long it's gonna take I probably have another couple master's degrees to go but I want to be that yeah and like I'm gonna I'm gonna figure it out I don't I don't know what it looks like. I don't know how long it's going to take. Um, but that's what I want. So it's kind yeah. of like those stepping stones of like, I just got to figure it out. That's awesome. That's so cool. Life has no limits. 
just barriers. So we're like, definitely going to get there. We're rooting for you. Thanks. We'll definitely, we'll, we'll see you be the uh, oh, female GM for sure. It's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's, I mean, I have a few things I should probably cross off that list first, but one day. Okay. I think we'll probably ask like a couple of maybe fun questions. We like yeah. to do that sometimes. Yeah. So like, were there like any just like, like weird moments or like something that really funny that happened in the bubble, like during your time there? I think for me, a weird moment was you just get so used to everyone. Like you, um, towards like the, I would say the last three weeks. So halfway point, I guess for me, I was sitting at breakfast eating delicious hotel food. And um, I kind of just became friends with some of the officials, like the linesmen. And they just started like giving me hugs through like the, like photography hole. Yeah. That's really cool. So that was cool. Um, And then that's when I learned that, oh gosh, what is it called? When the puck is frozen, the perfect temperature in the NHL, the logo goes purple. So it's like um, beer cans when they're the perfect temperature, the can changes. It's the same technology. So that was something that I learned. That was kind of like weird and random. Um, funny moments. I think it was like really weird when like players started realizing what I was realizing, like what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like they would like start posing on the ice <laughs> and like um, Jamie Ben. Round one, I want to say. Um, I was in the corner during warm-ups, and I wanted to get this one photo, like, the entire time I was there. It was so dumb. It was, like, this, it wasn't even that, like, funny. Um, but he held, like, what he was doing, and then I, like, got the shot, and he was, like, gave me a thumbs up to, like, make sure I bought it. And I was, like, they understand. They know what I'm doing they get it finally um so that was kind of like a moment for me where it's like hey they finally understand what this you know the only girl on the ice bubble is doing um because I was the only girl down there aside from like ice crew um and then what was another one you're like can we set up now so that all players now pose when they see me (laughs) yeah I know I was like can you like write a memo and like send it out (laughs) Chat. Um, oh, there was one more thing that was just like so weird. What was it? I think it was overall just like I felt <laughs> like I was at um, hockey summer camp. Like, yeah, that's kind of how I explained it because like you are in the same area and you interact with each other. I mean, you cross paths, so you're grabbing coffee or breakfast at the same time and. I mean, these are people that, like, some of them, I didn't play hockey growing up. I wish that I did, but, um, like, you're used to seeing them on TV and in Canada. I don't know how it is in the States, but hockey is, like, it. Like, if you make it, that is it. Um, So it was, like, oh, there's, who's a good example of an older player? Like, Wheeler, just going to get his Tim Hortons. 
just it was just like it was every day and it's funny it was just like oh there's for lack of a better example Connor McDavid just having lunch over there <laughs> in the same spot as me because um, in Canada like it's every night like that's I mean I watch sports as much as I can I don't really watch TV otherwise um, or I'm constantly on my apps like checking scores and um, that was kind of like and you also just had like it kind of just proved they're human they're just like me they're just like you they have families they have lives they have things that they're missing out on and I am and they're humans they're humans first they're they are players second and they they do have lives outside of the fame that they get yeah I think the NHL does, like, overall a really good job of showcasing that. Like, especially at, like, the beginning of COVID when all the players were at home and they were having them do, like, all of just, like, the random challenges. Like, I think it really showed that, like, athletes are people, too. And I've definitely been a big advocate of that um, over That's something that I have to remind people is that yeah, you're a person first. You have feelings. They're valid. You have injuries. They're valid. And that's any person that's me that's you know the person working retail like you are a person first and um that kind of like like you know seeing guys like facetiming their kids and like their dogs they're just like me they miss their family and a lot of them have been gone for a month before they got in the bubble right yeah so it was, you know, you got to see the human side of them, which was really nice. Yeah. You Speaking of dogs. Yeah. Speaking of dogs, how excited was your dog to see you when you got back? They ignored me. Were <laughs> <laughs> so, <No>. like mad? <laughs> no. So I moved out of my apartment. My lease was okay. up um, August 30th. So I had to get out because I couldn't move if I was in a bubble. So I got out of there a month early. And I'm living with my parents, which is fine. Um, but my parents were gone in the mountains when I got home. So I had been home by myself just to kind of like decompress. I think I kind of went, I saw a friend, she picked me up, but they came home the next day. <laughs> and I was so excited to see them. And there's some, like, we have small dogs. And um, they got out of the car and they saw another dog. <laughs> And I was just like, hi. And they like wouldn't come see me. It's like, and then now they're like, um, the one like sleeps with me every night. If he doesn't, it's like a thing. Um, that was, and then like my friends have dogs too. So like going and like seeing my friends' dogs, like was really nice. Like snuggling on the couch with their dogs. Um, and I became like obsessed. Like I love corgis. <laughs> so like anytime since I've been home that I've seen one, it's, like, I'm, like, obsessed. <laughs> I just, like, want one, and I'm, like, scheming how to get one since I've been oh home. Who is the WNBA player with the corgi? I'm completely blanking what? right now. There's a there's a WNBA player, and she has a corgi, and he's, like... They're so funny. So famous, I guess. Hold on. I gotta, like, I'm literally Googling it right now. <laughs> And like my 
boyfriend would like send me pictures of like once he would see like out and about when he was like running errands and I'd be like I just want like I don't even want my dogs I just want to like keep you're like I didn't even come to see my friends I came to see their dogs you're like I'm just sorry yeah sorry about it yeah. <laughs> pretty much you should follow um it's, his name is pancake but it's just at the NBA corgi yeah oh this is this is this is life-changing like i will download corgi tiktoks oh my gosh i love we follow we follow pancake so uh this is this is a good day this is worth getting up at 7 45 oh my gosh well we'll wrap up but thank you so much for coming on this was really fun you're welcome i've never done a podcast so this was good